really it's something you've got to take a look at and get clear on for yourself. Are you willing for your parents to make it with you? Now listen to me very carefully. Are you willing for your parents to make it with you? You know, really make it with you. Are you willing to admire and respect and love and support and, and accept? Are you willing for your parents to make it with you just exactly like they are? You know, without any of those wonderful qualities that the other kids' parents had. And are you willing for your parents to make it with you? Again, remember what make it with you means. I don't mean you've got to force yourself to accept your parents. You can't do it anyhow. I'm asking, you hear the words willing. It's like, would it be all right with you to wake up tomorrow morning and find out that your parents were totally acceptable to you, that you admired them and respected them and loved them, that you felt affinity for them, that you enjoyed them, and they still had all those qualities that embarrassed you when you were a child. So you need to confront that because in order to be complete in your relationship with your parents, you really have to allow your parents to make it with you as your parents so that they can, so that it is their experience that they have succeeded as your parents. You have to create for them the space in which they can experience that they have made it as your parents, that they've succeeded, that, that they've made it, you know? At least in their role as parents, they've, they've won, they've succeeded. They've handled that. Now you've got, see, what you need to take a look at is are you willing for your parents to make it with you just exactly like they are without the addition of any of those other qualities or, or, or things that you thought they ought to have and without the subtraction of any of those qualities or things you think they shouldn't have? Would that be okay? Would it be all right with you to have that experience? Are you willing to experience your parents as being all right with you? That's, that's really at the heart of things. That was a beautiful opportunity. Thank you very much for that. Hi, Werner. I'm Hi. Tay. Uh, Say your name again. Tay. Thank you, Tay. I was one of those people who, about 20 years ago, I put my parents out of my life <laughs> and spent the next 20 years and raised my fist, paying those bastards back for what they did to me. And uh, somewhere along the line, not so long ago, I realized that uh, I didn't pay anybody back, of course. What I wound up was, was with 20 years with no parents. And during the process... <laughs> during the process, one of the lines that, of my tape that came up in the story was, well, the thing that they really never did for me is they never showed me that they loved me. And that was very important. That was a key line. But the line suddenly meant something different to me this time. Yes. The line, they never showed me that they loved me, made me realize that I understood that they did love me. <laughs> I wanted to tell you a little story which you were sharing kind of reminded me of. I 
spoke, I guess, about three, four days ago at uh, the uh, Parent Effectiveness Training, the PET Trainers Convention, which was held in Amherst up in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, I talked about teenagers, and I told them that the most, one of the most important, the most important educational experience in my life was the experience that I've had in the teen training. And, uh, you know, then I told them my things about I was an expert on teenagers now, and that the first thing that I wanted to share with them was that teenagers were human. And that did not go over there somehow. Uh, but I told them that what we found out in the teen training, what I found out in the teen training, is that the most important, the absolutely the most important thing in an adolescent's life, absolutely the most important thing is not going to the dance, not the romance, not the first romance, not, the, not school, none of that stuff is really important. At least not, none of that stuff is fundamentally important. That what was fundamentally important to a teenager was that they loved their parents absolutely. And the problem with being a teenager is the inability to express this, the inability to manifest it and communicate it and allow it and, and let it be there. And uh, when I was all done, I got off the platform and some people came up to talk. And there had been two young people who's, who were there, obviously, with their parents sitting over on my left, on the floor, down in the front of the seats in the auditorium. And uh, they came over, and one of them had tears in her eyes, and she said, I really want to thank you for saying that because that's really, really what's true for me. And, ha and you having said that with my parents in the room gives me the opportunity, makes it okay for me to tell my parents that I really love them absolutely. And it was, uh, you know, it made that whole trip worthwhile. If nothing else that had happened, that would have made that trip worthwhile. And I am so clear that what our lives are about when we don't get to express that, when we don't get, you know, when a teenager doesn't get to express that, what it does is begin to twist the teenager, you know, and it's, it's interesting. You can see them getting twisted, gnarled, and turned around, and you can watch them starting to put the film of peanut butter over all that gnarling so it looks good, you know, so that they can be adults and suppress all that twisting and turning and all those convolutions that the inability to express their absolute love for their parents uh, puts them through. So. If you've gotten that today, if you've gotten in touch with your love for your parents, you really may be growing up today. I want to tell you that I grew up when I was 35 or 36, somewhere in there, where I really got that I loved my parents absolutely, that they were totally all right with me, exactly the way they were, that I was willing to support them in being the way they were, and they didn't have to be that way, they could be some other way, and I would support that, and that I loved them absolutely, and they were totally acceptable to me, and they've gotten so much better since then, by the way. <laughs> Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Werner. I'm Brian. Hi. Hi. Actually, most of my questions will probably be answered during the day. Uh, I have some relationships that have ended through death. Some close friends, uh, my father, uh, you know, so forth. And I'm just wondering now, how in the world do you clean up a relationship with somebody that's already passed away? I mean, you know, and maybe you don't have an answer right off, but you know, anything that you can say would help. 
Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, really, and a very important question. Almost all of us, in fact, I would guess that I don't know anyone in their teens who hasn't experienced the death of someone with whom they're related. And it's a problem for most of us. Most of us don't handle it all that well, and some of us have a really deep problem with it. And so it's something really worth discussing and, and getting clear about. Uh, and I'd like to take a look at it in two aspects, Brent, and I think that if we look at it in two aspects, it'll get pretty clear what it is that we're dealing with. And the two aspects are this, that when a person dies, what they leave behind is what you and I haven't experienced. In other words, if a person to whom you're related dies and, you're, and they die at that moment when your relationship with them is absolutely complete, then as a matter of fact, there's nothing left of them, there's nothing hanging around of them, there's no baggage left behind, there is merely space. In other words, there's the space to be related to go on and be related with others and, infer, and perhaps even valuably related to the memory of that person or to the value of that person, as I would prefer to say it. So when a loved one dies, when a person with whom you're related dies and you're left stuck with something, of life is completion and death is a kind of symbol of completion or at least can be a symbol of completion in the ordinary course of events it's a symbol of incompletion it's a symbol of failure because I haven't gotten in life what I set out to get therefore when I die I no longer have the chance to get it therefore I fail so death is mostly a symbol of failure so for you and I when we're stuck with the death of someone, what we're stuck with is the part of the relationship that we didn't complete. And what we can do, even without the presence of that person, is to complete the relationship for ourselves. It's absolutely irrelevant to the completion of a relationship that the person be present or not. Perfectly all right for them to be present, and it's perfectly all right for them not to be present, what you need to complete is the part that wasn't complete, and that's stuck in you, not in them. Thank you very much. This business about the past and the future and now, we need to get really cleared up, particularly the business about the past. And the most important thing I want to direct your attention to is the, big, is the business of forgiveness, of forgiving. Now, we don't use that word in S because the word has a lot of baggage attached to it. Uh, I would prefer the word completing, allowing to be. And the problem with forgiving 
is that people don't understand it very well. They think that if somebody does something wrong and you forgive them, that it's kind of like you say, well, it was all right for you to do it that time, but don't dare ever do it again. And that isn't the way life works. If somebody does it, you can bet they're going to do it again. Now, they'll fool you every once in a while. Once in a blue moon, they won't do it again. But I'll tell you, that's very rare that they don't do it again. You too. You see, let's talk about self-forgiveness. Let's talk about forgiving oneself. What isn't understood because of all the gobbledygook we've picked up from our culture, what isn't understood is that when you forgive somebody for something, and we're talking about self-forgiveness now, so what I mean is when you forgive yourself for something, you've got to create the space for that thing to exist. You see, what you and I keep forgetting is whatever we resist, that's what's going to manifest. Whatever you resist, you become. So if there's something in your past that you're ashamed of or guilty about, there's something in your past that you're hanging on to, or if there's something in your past that you're burdening the other person with in your relationship with them, that's incredibly stupid. And it's also stupid to forgive them or forgive yourself if what you mean by that is I'll never do it again. That's a lie. You haven't got the remotest idea of what you will ever do again. And the probability is that you will do whatever you did before again. See, it's a very interesting thing. If you are ever going to transcend being that kind of person, you are going to have to make it all right that you are that kind of person. Because any ounce of resistance to whatever, you do, to whatever degree you resist who you are, to that degree you are stuck being that. And, and the day on which, that moment at which you really experience that you've created yourself being that way, you will never again have to be that way. You see, what people don't understand is you're only as high as you are low. The degree to which you can't take responsibility for yourself as a small and mean person to that degree, you cannot reach any higher. If I don't have space in my relationships with others for them to be small and mean, they have no room in which to grow. And I'll tell you, you can't ever create the space for anybody else if you can't create the space for yourself. One of the worst kinds of people in the world are good people. They're almost the worst kind of people because they themselves have put on this act of being good people which gives them the right not to give people the space to be bad people. And if you can't be bad, you can't really be good. Now, if you can't follow all this very precisely, what I'm really saying is lighten up. Don't bring all that seriousness about your relationships in here. 
The other thing I want to tell you is that most of what you call relationship is not. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Most of the things that I found out that I have that are worth contributing uh, are uh, where I found out that we're calling something one thing when it isn't. See, people can't communicate because what they call communication isn't. And people can't relate because what they call relationship isn't. 99% of what you want in your association or connection with another person is not relationship. There are very few people in this room who are even interested in putting together a relationship. There are as few people in this room who are interested in putting together a relationship as there are people in this room who ought to be celibate. There are some people for whom a monastic life makes sense. Like there are a few people who ought to climb Everest. There are a few people who ought to live in monasteries. And there are a few people who ought to pursue relationships. About 99% of what you and I want from our association with other people, from our connection with other people, is not relationship at all. What, in fact, we really want is recreation. You see, if you could get that, your life would work. Especially your relationship life would work. Because if you were willing to create recreation with the person that you're associated with, if you were willing to take the significance and the heaviness out of it that doesn't belong there in the first place, it would be damn cut and dry. And I'll tell you, that legitimizes what goes on so fast it makes your head shake. And I'll tell you what, out of a tremendous association for recreation can come the magic of a relationship. And without that recreation, you've got, got a hope in hell of having a relationship. The other part of that is that you can't pursue a relationship. Why? Because you cannot pursue what is. You are already related. You can't pursue a relationship. You're already related. And you are, related is like pregnant. You either is or you ain't. <laughs> See, you can't have degrees of relatedness. You are either related or you aren't. And you are related. You already are. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. But I'd like to be clear with you that if you're, look, this business about creating relationships, you don't have to create a relationship. You already got one. That's all there is, is relating. What you need to create is some recreation. You know, that's a little, you gotta work on recreation. Now, some people will wanna, will wanna play a game called relationship, and that's beautiful if you do. But be damn clear what you're letting yourself in for. The business of being related should be reserved for very few people. The number of people who should climb mountains seriously is probably related to the number of people who ought to pursue relationships seriously.
You shouldn't even get involved if you aren't willing to play all out. Very bad to get up on the side of a mountain and quit. <laughs> Relationship requires the kind of commitment that climbing mountains requires. And most of us shouldn't be doing it. I jumped out of an airplane once for recreation. And that's why I did it once. See, once was recreation, twice, and it becomes a pursuit. I have no commitment to jumping out of airplanes. So, you hang around coming out of the fact that you are related, have some good recreation, and you're liable to fall out once. You know, you're liable to fall into a, rec into a relationship. It could happen. Probably stun you if it did. You know, you might never get over it. Recreation is refreshment in body or mind as after work by some form of play, amusement, or relaxation. Recreation is refreshment in body or mind as after work, as after anything, work being one of the things as after. See, one of the things as after recreation, you recreate too. <laughs> if you know how to recreate, I mean. So, recreation is refreshment in body or mind as after work by some form of play, amusement, or relaxation. Can you imagine how much of your, quote, relationship, unquote, that leaves out? Tragic. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh. That's really looking that's really worth looking over. I mean that's worth really getting clear about, you know, really, 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 really clear about. What does it take to create a really powerful relationship? Let's go back into the training and take a look. Successful relationships are based on agreed-on goals. Judy and I are going to have a successful relationship. It doesn't make any difference, by the way, whether it's a marriage or a love affair or a business partnership or a... Where's Bill? Sales, a sales encounter. It doesn't make any difference. You want to have a successful relationship? Very simple. Find out what the other person wants. Now, that ain't easy. Because most people don't. Damn, got your remotest God. What do you want? I'm going to give you what you want. What do you want? Well, well, I don't know. Let me, let me think for a while. Well, I, I, want a, I want a pony. No, no, I don't want a pony. I want a wagon. No, I don't really want a wagon. Um, uh, I know what I want. I want to be a fireman. No, I don't want to be a fireman. By the way, let me, I want to tell you a little secret. It does not make any difference what you want. You don't want anything. One thing's as good as the other. Anything's all right. Honest, you know? Look, let me, let me, let me tell you something. 
you know that if you get to be the most famous person in the world, it ain't going to make a bit of difference in the quality of your life? Not a bit. Not a bit. That's hard to believe, isn't it? What determines the quality of your life in terms of goals is just that you have them and function towards them intelligently, not what they are. So to have a successful relationship, I say, Judy, what do you want? She says, me, I want to be the world's greatest water skier. I say, Judy, I am now committed to your being the world's greatest water skier. You have my total support. I want to be the world's greatest mountain climber, and I am committed to that. Werner, you got my support for being the world's greatest mountain climber. Judy and I will have a successful relationship. We won't see much of each other, but it'll work out beautifully. We will have a successful relationship. I'm not kidding. And the degree to which I can be true to my commitment to Judy's success as a water skier, and the degree, by the way, to which Judy can be true to her commitment for her success as a water skier, and the degree to which I can be true to my commitment for success as a mountain climber, and Judy can be true to her commitment to me as a mountain climber, we can have a hell of a relationship. Great relationship. Really, it will work. Saying that bosses are the same thing. Look, what do you want? I'm going to give you what you want. What do you want? Tell me what you want. I'm going to give it to you. Or I'm going to leave, one or the other. I'm either going to give it to you or I'm going to leave. I want to know exactly what it is you want. Terrific. Now, you told me what you want. I am now committed on this job to your getting that from me. Here's what I want. You willing to commit yourself to seeing I get that? Terrific. You and I got a relationship. Now, that's how to make a working relationship. That'll work. Now, if you want to have a, a powerful relationship, now that's something different. In order to create a powerful relationship, you have to give up making the person you're going to relate to wrong. But you don't understand, Werner. He is wrong. <laughs> I don't make him wrong. I don't make him wrong. I just point it out to him. <laughs> I'm helping him. No, seriously, I'm only helping. can't ever have a powerful relationship with anybody unless you are willing to give up making them wrong. Actually, did you ever notice in a romance, in a romance, particularly in the sexual aspect of a romance, you hold back just a little bit? Do you want to know why people don't give their all, everything they've got, really open themselves up and really go with the thing? Because someday, the fairy prince may come, and you need to save something for the fairy prince. Or princess, as the case may be. You're going to give this nitwit everything? Suppose the guy in the white charger comes in. What the f*** are you going to have for him? And you can never tell. He might come. You know, you can never tell. You always hope. Nobody's coming on a f***ing white charger. You better give it away right now. <laughs> All of it. 
Don't hold any of it back. Werner has more to say on this in the relationships course. You don't need to wait for Prince Charming to come along. You can create being charmed and come from being charmed. You don't have to wait for somebody to do it to you. You can create this in the relationships you've got right now. I mean, you know how to work towards the images you've got in your relationship. You know, you know she ought to be like this. And that when she is, then you'll be happy with her. And you know he ought to stop being like that. And if he would, then, boy, would you put out. You got to give all that up today for at least as long as you're in here. You got to let go. Just absolutely let go. I'd like you to take a look at something. Would you be willing, without any circumstances changing, now listen, would you be willing, without any change of circumstance, listen, would you be willing, without any change in circumstance, you know, if he still is like he was when you got here. And if she won't stop, whatever. Would you be willing, with no alteration in your circumstances, to experience that your relationship was ecstatic and joyful and celebrating and pleasurable and loving and wonderful and would you be willing to experience being absolutely blown away by the people in your relationships? <laughs> well, that's what it's about, you see. Now, you'd be surprised at what kind of work you can do in the space of ecstasy. See, you're trying to get them straightened out with no ecstasy. Very hard. You create some ecstasy in the relationship and watch how fast they move. <laughs> no sense working uphill. Hi, Werner. My name is Jonathan. Good to see you, Jonathan. I have, I have this sense. There, my feeling of relationship with you, I get an analogy between your relationship with me and my relationship with my father and a woman in my life and others who I don't relate to or who won't relate to me rather in the sense that they won't play with me that they will withhold and deny and not be intimate with me and I just wonder what your experience is how it looks to you and how it how it could look to me where I come to them from that kind of um, love and acceptance and there's no play on the other side. They yeah. won't play. Yeah, you see, that. look, I want you to know... There's that, no relationship. Well, okay, let, I, the, I, you see, my answer is not at all complex. It's really very simple, and its power is not in the brilliance of the response, but in the fact that what I'm about to tell you is very real. I'm telling you the truth, and I'm not telling you the truth just for me. I'm telling you what's really so about those people. 
I'm telling you that their inability to respond, their bound upness is the highest expression of love which they can muster. Now look, they may, you may be smarter than they are, they may be smarter than you are. You may be richer than they are, they may be richer than you are. You may be more clever, more communicable, they may be more clever, more communicable. None of those things, about none of those things can I speak. The one, or will I know the answer? About this I know the answer. They have the capacity for love. They have a capacity for love like yours and like mine, which is absolute. The only thing bound up in their life is the expression of that capacity. So what you're getting is a, is a bound expression of an absolute love for you. And if you can accept that as their love for you, and if you can be in ecstasy about that expression, if you can be joyful and celebrate that expression, your joy, your ecstasy, your being blown away by your relationship with them, I promise you will provide the heat necessary to melt whatever's there. Miracles will happen. This next exercise you can do with your eyes open or closed. It's a series of questions for you to answer to yourself. There aren't any right or wrong answers. It's just an opportunity for you to look at where you are in your relationships now. Please answer this question. I'll ask it a few times. Just keep answering it with whatever is so for you at the time I ask it. Are you willing for your relationships to work? Thank you. Are you willing for your relationships to work? Thank you. Are you willing to experience satisfaction in your relationships? Thank you. Are you willing to experience completion in your relationships? Thank you. Are you willing to experience aliveness in your relationships? Thank you. Are you willing to experience certainty in your relationships? Good. Are you willing to experience satisfaction in your relationships? Thank you. This is a slightly different one. We'll continue. Okay. Regarding the relationship of you to yourself, who is the source of the experience of love? I'll give that one to you again. Regarding you to yourself, that is your relationship with yourself, who is the source of the experience of love? Good. In your relationship with another or others, who creates the experience of love? Answer this for yourself, not for anybody else. Good. In the relationship of another with you, who is the source of love? 
good of a relationship of another to someone else, who creates the experience of love? Remember to answer that for yourself. In the relationship of someone else with someone else, who creates the experience of love? Good. In this universe, who is the source of love? Thank you. In this universe, in any part of this universe, who is the source of love? Good. Who do you need in order to be loved? For those of you who didn't get it that time, <laughs> who do you need in order to experience love? In your universe, who could withhold love? In your universe, if love is scarce, who isn't creating it? Thank you. <laughs> Terrific, isn't it? Relationships Making Them Work was produced by Est, an educational corporation. Copyright Werner Earhart. The producer was Michael Portis, and my name is Patricia McDade.